Yes, Jonathan's away, so you've got me again. <laughs> but he only goes away for three weeks of the year, so that's good, isn't it? Well, I wonder if um, any of you have ever been passionate about a cause. Anyone? I can remember um, my son, Jordan. He was never really uh, physically coordinated. He just couldn't get fine motor coordination. And as a result, um, he didn't like to play sport because he just was quite fumbly. So uh, we looked around to see what sort of sport uh, an uncoordinated, uh, gorgeous big lug of a kid could play. And um, we came up with flipper ball. Does anyone know what flipper ball is? No. I was a flipper ball coach for three years. <laughs> and that in itself is a miracle because I still didn't, by the end of it, understand all the, um, uh, you know, the, the ins and outs of it. But basically, flipper ball was a prelude to water polo for kids that were uncoordinated. And we had this eclectic group of kids girls and boys, and we were called the Mighty Ducks. And every Saturday morning, we would get there and we would go for it as uncoordinated as we were. And we won three finals. How's that? <laughs> and, and I was just passionate. And so were these kids about the Mighty Ducks as a cause. I can remember moving up here 14 years ago and prior to that, two years prior to that, my father-in-law, Warren's father, uh, died of cancer. And I was introduced to palliative care. I'd never even heard about palliative care. Has anyone heard about palliative care? So for me, 16 years ago, I'd never heard about palliative care. And I was overwhelmed by the way this particular aspect of the health service just came alongside people who were dying and cared for them so beautifully. And I knew then that at some stage in my life, I just had a real conviction from God. I wanted to be part of a palliative care service somehow. And I remember two years later arriving here in Wodonga and my sister before my feet got on the ground, she was there waiting for me and she had a little piece of paper out of the border morning mail and it was an advertisement to work in the local palliative care here at the Mercy and I applied for it and I got the job. And I ended up working in palliative care for seven years and I loved it. I was passionate about the cause of palliative care, the way that palliative care <laughs> can work with people and their families who are dying to bring dignity and to bring a sense of, um, of honour to them as they died. And I was just passionate about the cause of palliative care. And, you know, as a movement, actually they're called palliative care a movement. That's how passionate the people are in palliative care about what they do. But as a movement, it was almost evangelical because it was based on Christian principles of, of respect and dignity 
and it had a holistic approach. It, it, it looked at not only the physical aspects of a human being, but the social, emotional and spiritual aspects of life. And uh, it just fitted in with my giftings, which were primarily mercy, teaching and leadership. And so that season of my life where God just said, I'll let you be involved in this was just such an enormous blessing to me. And so I wonder for anyone here this morning, have you ever had a cause, been involved in a cause, be it uh, helping to train up young people in sport, be it in your workplace, being in your family, being in your church? Have you ever been passionate about a cause? Anyone? Oh, good. <laughs> I hope so. Because there's something about being passionate about a cause and being involved with others who are equally as passionate as you and seeing others come on board and gain that same passion for a cause that is absolutely life-changing and it makes you want to live and it makes you want to thrive. Actually, it was an irony, really, to think that I could thrive in an organisation that dealt with death. But, you know, working in palliative care taught me more about life than any other uh, environment I've, I've been in. Well, you know, we've been looking at the book of 1 Timothy for about nearly 10 weeks now. And in that um, book, we've been really looking at basically a cause. Basically, Paul, has, who is an elder statesman, has been schooling and instructing a young greenhorn called Timothy about an incredible cause which he should give his life to. Has anyone got any idea what that cause might be? Well, church, but no. <laughs> <laughs> Not completely correct, Sandy. Not quite. Christ. We sang it, didn't we, just before. Um, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the cause that we live and die for. And the gospel of Jesus Christ cannot be hindered, cannot be thwarted. And the gospel of Jesus Christ Guess what? God has given this incredible gospel, the gospel that can transform lives, the gospel that can say that even though you are a sinner and you are far away from God, in Ephesians it says that we are children of wrath. As a result of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we become children of God. We now have a new relationship with God through the death of Jesus Christ. And not only that, do we, not only do we have a new relationship through this gospel, we have freedom in Jesus Christ, that our sins have been forgiven and we no longer have to live in the bondage of sin and pain and all the stuff that is associated with sin. We now have life and we have life in all its fullness, John 10.10, 10, which is based on our vision, the vision to thrive. And Jesus said that I have come to give you life and life in all its fullness. And that's because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there is no greater cause in the whole of the world in heaven and on earth than the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And so it's for this cause that we are to be passionate about, Paul instructs Timothy. And the way that we do that, we're looking at today, is to honour God, to honour him with our whole lives and to honour his church. And you know what is really, really scary? The plan that God has for this gospel to proliferate throughout the world, to be proclaimed throughout the world, rests on you and I. And that's what's scary. And through the gospel of Timothy, Timothy has been instructed by Paul to to look at almost every demographic from women to men to widows to elders on how to behave and how to honour God. So this cause which is the ultimate reason for everything, can be proliferated throughout the world. And today, we're looking at two other demographics that Paul is so wanting to encourage Timothy to ensure that these two groups of people are actually honouring God and honouring their church with their lives so that the cause, so that the gospel can be proliferated throughout the world. And the two groups couldn't be more extreme. One are leaders and one are slaves. Leaders who have power and slaves who have absolutely no power at all. And what I'm reminded of with this marvellous cause is that this cause is all-encompassing. This cause is for all people, no matter what station in life you are. Paul is is instructing us today that no matter who you are, you have to honour God and honour your church. And when you do that, you honour the cause because it's the cause. I'm just going to run through those um, scriptures because Phil has already given them to us. But it is the cause that is so important. So how? How do we help as, as human, you know, thwarted just, um, and failing people as we are, how do we have a stake in proliferating this cause throughout the world? Well, Paul says that we have to first honour our leaders. He says, The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honour, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. You know, we've been talking about elders for a number of weeks now. We even had a morning, didn't we, where we brought the elders or the deacons up on the platform and we actually prayed for them. And we actually saw who they were because not all of us know who our elders are. Actually, another word for elders is deacons, overseer, and the word elder is very closely aligned to the word shepherd, that they are to shepherd the church. And it says here that they are worthy of double honour. Now, the word honour is a really important word because God wants us to honour him and he's saying one of the ways you honour me is by honouring your leaders. 
And the word honour means to give appropriate weight to. In other words, to, to, to measure the person and, and give weight to them. Not, not bring them down, but to give weight. And honour carries with it two parts. The first part of the word honour is about power and authority. So our leaders need to be honoured because they have power and God-given authority. But the second aspect to that word honour is about character. And Paul is saying that our leaders have to have good character. There must be nothing in their lives that brings uh, dishonour to the incredible work of the church and for the cause of the gospel. And Paul's also saying here that some elders, deacons, overseers, actually also have a gift, a gift of teaching or preaching. And not all of us have the same gift. I've just shared to you, with you, what my three main gifts are. Mercy, leadership and teaching. But I only knew that through a number of ways. I knew that through doing a spiritual gift test. But I also knew that because of the things I'm passionate about, the things that resonate with me, I also knew my gifts because of the experiences God has put into my life and the opportunities and the challenges that he has given to me. And even in fear and trepidation when I've said, okay, Lord. And so every believer needs to know what their gifts are. We've all got different gifts and we're told in 1 Corinthians that the gifts are so that the body of Christ together can be built up. And so no one gift is any more significant than another. Mandy spoke about that two weeks ago. But here Paul is saying some people, some leaders actually have a gift of preaching and teaching. And so they need to use that gift and, you know, the gospel is about being proclaimed. Proclaimed means to speak it out. And so teaching and preaching actually helps the gospel, the cause, to be proclaimed. And so Paul goes on to say they are worthy to have double honour because the scriptures say... Do not muzzle an ox that is treading out the grain and the worker deserves his wages. In other words, do not let anything stop the cause, the gospel of Jesus Christ being proclaimed. And so if you have people with a gift that can proclaim that gospel, let them do it. Don't let anything else thwart them. In other words, reward them. And he's not saying here in terms of double honour, he's not saying that we just respect them. That would be good. But he's also talking about a financial reward. And in this case, it was called an honorarium. 
In other words, a free will offering. And in those days, when Paul was writing to Timothy, and he was particularly talking about the churches in Ephesus and around that area, there were lots of gifted men that would go around teaching and preaching the gospel and they gave up their jobs and they had no income. And so it behoved the local church to give them a good goodwill offering, a free will offering, so that they could go on and continue in their work of proclamation. So don't muzzle an ox that is treading out the grain. Honour them through um, giving them their due weight, but honour them through an honorarium, a financial reward that will keep them being able to proclaim the gospel. And I think these days things have changed a little, but the principle is still there. The principle is that for our deacons, for our leaders, for our pastors that teach or preach or see to the affairs of the church, it is important that the remainder of the church, which is the whole body of Christ, come together and encourage and support and honour your leaders. Because Paul says when you do this, you're helping to proclaim and proliferate the cause of the gospel. And then he says, do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. Now, now, why did he say that? Because, you know, I have heard of churches, and we know all too well, where leaders have abused their position and have taken liberties and have created untold hurt and damage to other believers uh, because of their authority and position. But Paul is saying, you know, the first thing I want you to do is to really protect your leaders. You know, when you protect your leaders, you protect the gospel. That's what he's saying. And he's saying the way that you do that is if someone has a charge against an elder and it's only one person, you just don't listen to that. There must be at least two or three witnesses so that that elder is protected. You know, I've been at a few conferences in the last couple of weeks. I've just come back from the Leadership Summit um, in Melbourne for two days with Warren. And there were many leaders (laughs) gathered. And I think... I have to say, I've had a background in the secular world and in health, and now I've had a background for some five years in a church environment. I love the church, but I can tell you it's as challenging, if not more challenging, than working in a secular or a health environment. And that's among the brethren. And, you know, there was a PRAC article just this week 
which is a Christian magazine. And it was an interview with a Dr. Peter Francis, who heads up the um, Brisbane Tabernacle. And he was asked this question. What do you reckon is the greatest challenge facing the Australian church in the next decade? And Dr. Peter Francis answered, I think the greatest challenge is for Christians to break free from the philosophy of our age which says, it's all about me. We forget the gospel, the cause, is about more than being saved, more than, be, than me being forgiven, me being happy, me being fulfilled. The truth is the gospel, the cause, is essentially about the glory and the honour of Christ, the magnification of his name. When the gospel is presented and Christ is glorified, people are drawn to him and saved. I'm frequently challenged by Paul's words to the Philippians so that now, as always, Christ might be exalted in my body, whether it is by my life or by my death. I'm not the most important thing in all of this, says Dr Peter Francis, nor is my church. Christ is. You know, I think we forget that sometimes. If we would capture again such commitment to glorifying Christ rather than seeking our own comfort and fulfilment, I believe we may yet see the church in Australia turning our part of the world upside down as those early followers of Christ Jesus did in theirs. Wouldn't that be fantastic? You know, I'm passionate about the church, but I'm more passionate about the cause. I'm passionate about seeing Jesus Christ proclaimed in a lost and hurting world and lives that are far away from him come to know him and be transformed and changed in his image. That's what I'm passionate about. And, you know, sometimes I have to say that the church and the body of believers, and I include myself in this, thwart that cause by the meisms and by the self-centeredness and by the what can the church do for me and what is the church not doing for me instead of what can I do for Jesus Christ? It doesn't mean we don't care, but it means that we move on and care for the cause. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's really important. And I know I've spoken on this before, but it's right through Timothy. And so how do we do that? Well, we protect those that are trying to lead the church. But Paul says we still have to discipline those. And he says those who sin are to be rebuked publicly so that the others may take warning. 
I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favouritism. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Now Paul is talking here not to a leader who might just sin once or who might just make a mistake once and who acknowledges that and who confesses and who repents. He's not talking about that. What he's talking about here is a leader who persists in ongoing sin. And what he's saying is that that leader, because they have an influence over the whole, then their correction should be over the whole, okay? And what he's saying here is that correction is always with the end result, the hope that there will be change, there will be that repentance, and there will be ongoing growth. That's always the purpose for correction, not to destroy but to correct and to bring to repentance and hopefully to bring back into a position of honour. And that's what I find so incredible about the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ because here you have an instance where an elder or a leader is continuing to sin. Jesus said if they are rebuked publicly, if they confess and are repented, and repent, that there is still an opportunity at some stage, although don't be hasty, Timothy, but at some stage there may be opportunity for that leader to be reinstated. You know, isn't that what Jesus does with all of us through the gospel of grace? While we were yet sinners... Christ died for each and every one of us. And so each and every one of us, including the incredible responsibility that leaders have, we all have an opportunity of ongoing grace in our lives. Don't you just love the gospel of Jesus Christ? But Paul is saying, don't be hasty in that, because remember that you are in the sight of God, Christ Jesus, and the elect angels. And you know what? Timothy and his behaviour is not only in the sight of God, Christ, and the elect angels, but every single one of us who believe are in the sight of God, Christ, and the elect angels every moment of every hour of every day of our lives. Now, if that doesn't put the fear of God into you, I don't know what will. And so we honour our leaders by disciplining correctly 
because he says the sins of some men are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them, the sins of others trained behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are not cannot be hidden. You know, the early church had an apostolic constitution, and this is what it said. As to the good shepherd, let the lay person honour him, love him, reverence him as his Lord. It's going a bit over the top, wouldn't you say? But this was the early church. As his master, as the high priest of God, as the teacher of piety. For he that heareth him, heareth Christ. And he that rejecteth him, rejecteth Christ. And he who does not receive Christ does not receive his God and Father. So this is the link to the proliferation of the cause. In order to honour the cause, we have to honour the leaders. And that includes disciplining correctly. But then Paul does a funny thing and he he goes off on a pastoral tangent and he says to Timothy, you know, Timothy, be careful that you look after yourself and you drink a little wine occasionally for your stomach. And I just thought that just breaks this whole um, instruction guide with a lovely pastoral instruction to Timothy. And that's about honouring Timothy again as a leader, that, hey, Timothy, in all of this, with all of your responsibility, you know what? You're very human too and you need to be looked after and you need to be cared for. So there's this beautiful little break in the passage and then he goes into talking about the other end of the spectrum, so to speak, and that was talking about slaves And he says, all who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Those who have believing masters are not to show less respect for them because they are brothers. Instead, they are to serve them even better because those who benefit from their service are believers and dear to them. These are the things you are to teach and urge them on. You know, um, slaves in uh, 2,000 years ago in the Roman Greco world were actually had very different living conditions than slaves do these days. And I have to tell you, at this conference, uh, God just yesterday, there was a man that headed up a fellow called Gary Horgan, and he heads up IJM, which is International Justice Mission. And he is a godly Christian man. And they go to all the danger spots throughout the world. And basically what they do is try to get and infiltrate areas where people are still slaves in the world and release them, get them out of the work that they're doing. Do you know that in the world today there are 27 million people, it is estimated, that are still slaves, still uh, without their own accord are actually slaves, that 2 million children 
worldwide, particularly young girls as young as six, are held in prostitution and as, uh, as sex slaves. And yesterday, you know, Saturday, we saw this most amazing, amazing but disturbing documentary on in India where this is rampant and little girls are, are servicing men up to 30 times a day, seven days a week. It's just horrendous. I tell you that even though that is shocking, but you need to know that slavery still exists in the world today and it's an abomination and it is not what God intended because God intended for the gospel of Jesus Christ to free mankind that's what God intended. And so it is really disturbing that slavery exists, but the form of slavery that exists today is very different to the form of slavery that existed some 2,000 years ago. Slaves were one group in the church that were especially drawn by the freedom that of the gospel. Um, and in the first century, they formed a distinct group within society. Um, and even though they were the property of their masters, it didn't prevent many of them from experiencing um, a lot of freedom and social mobility. Many earned a living or worked in partnership with their owners. Um, and some actually held positions of authority within businesses or administration posts in lower levels of government. And it really wasn't even unusual for a slave to receive a good education. Often slaves were the result of conquered nations who after Rome had conquered the nations, they would bring them back into those um, nations where Rome was sovereign and, and they would become um, domestics um, in, in wealthy homes. So a slave wasn't necessarily in the same bondage as we understand slavery um, with our, our two year 2000 um, Western eyes. And, but what Paul is saying here, really, the heart of what he's saying is it doesn't matter what your position is. The point is you have to honour God and honour your church because what was happening was that slaves were gaining a sense of freedom and equality with their masters and for some they were actually usurping their, their position. And so Paul was, was writing to say, look, uh, this is not my call to abolish slavery. God has called me for actually what is an even greater cause, and that is the proliferation of the gospel. So this is where I'm concentrating for now. But I acknowledge that there is slavery, and what I'm saying is in your position, honour, honour your masters. That is what will bring great honour to the church of Jesus Christ. And when the church, when God is honoured and when the church is honoured, then the cause, the cause is proliferated throughout the world. You know, I want to tell you that those 
that know and love Jesus Christ or who are believers, guess what? We're all slaves. We're slaves to one master and one master only, Jesus Christ. I just want to draw something very briefly to you in winding up. This is something I've learned at a conference. This circle represents a pre-believer, someone who doesn't know Jesus but is on the journey to discovery. And then they meet Jesus. This circle represents a believer, a new believer. And we heard this morning from Phil, we've got a class for new believers. This circle is about someone who has grown somewhat in Christ. The majority of Christians in the Western church would fit in this circle. This circle represents those whose lives have totally been surrendered every aspect of their lives as a slave to Jesus Christ. And research has shown that the greatest distance for someone to travel is actually not from here to here. One would think that, wouldn't you? We get so excited when we hear someone has given their lives to Jesus Christ. Well, you know, the sad thing about the Western church, the Western Christian church, is that research absolutely shows the greatest distance and the greatest resistance in this continuum is from here to here. I think it's true. If I think about my own life, I think how much is my life really totally surrendered and in bondage to Jesus Christ? How much of it really is? Would I really be willing to risk my life, the life of my family for this cause? Would I? Would I be really willing to risk my reputation? Would I really be willing to say, Lord, today, whatever I'm doing, I consider as rubbish. I consider worthless. Take me. Take me, Jesus. And let my life be totally yours. And where you want me to be, where you want me to go, here I am. Am I really willing to say that? I don't know about you, but those last, getting from that third circle to the last circle, I think that's what God wants us to do. Because if the church, if this church, is actually going to be a vehicle for the cause of Jesus Christ, that is what we all have to be open 
to have happen in our lives, that our lives are to be enslaved by Jesus Christ. When Paul writes to all the epistles, he prefaces it as a slave of Jesus Christ. He says he is a slave of Jesus. Now, we're not slaves as we understand slaves. But I can tell you that this master's yoke, it's a paradox. You become a slave and yoked to Jesus Christ and you experience the greatest freedom you will ever have. It's true, isn't it? Does your life feel like you're in bondage? Do you feel that you're weighed down, that you're not living the victorious life? Do you feel like when we talk about our vision to thrive, you just go, yeah, sure. (laughs) Well, the key might just be that you're in bondage to the wrong things. You're in bondage to the things of the world and you're not in bondage to the master because when you become enslaved to the master, that is when you will have life and life in all its fullness. That's what it means to thrive, to be enslaved to the one that when we sang earlier, it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. And look, I have to tell you, there you don't you know there is a lost, fallen, broken world out there. Why should we be the only ones that experience that freedom? Why should we? But if we have a church, and I'm not just talking about this church, I'm talking about the Western church that is full of Christians who are in bondage to the wrong things instead of being in bondage to the right thing, out there is never going to happen. We're in very, very pertinent times God is not going to keep being patient with us. God is not going to keep waiting until we feel ready, until we feel comfortable, until we feel like our life is together enough to say, yes, I'll give you that little bit more, Jesus. Jesus wants to use you where you are for one thing and one thing only. And that's the cause, the greatest cause on the earth. And people are in slavery and in bondage, but they're in slavery and bondage not to overt oppressors, although some are, 27 million are, but the majority of the world is in bondage to sin. And we've been given the message, are you going to choose to be a slave to the master 
and experience what life is all about, the incredible freedom, and be passionate for the cause. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you and it is true, we, we, we don't know where to begin. Sometimes the causes in our own lives, like trying to earn a living, like just trying to pay off our mortgage in a depressed economic environment, like just trying to put food on the table, seems like cause enough. And yet, despite that, your word today is so clear that whether we're a leader or a slave, our position, whether we're a husband and a provider, whether we're a wife or a mother, whether we're a teacher, whatever we do in this life, whether we're a student, you call us to be totally surrendered to you, to be enslaved to you and not to the things that enslave us. And therefore, when we are in you fully, you cause us where we are to really be passionate about your cause. Oh, Lord, help us. Help us. We need help. We need help. Oh, Lord, Peter Francis said, what would it look like if the church truly moved from a me-ism to a in-him-ism? Oh, Lord, that lives would be radically transformed and changed and that the gospel, the cause would be proclaimed in the world. Jesus, oh Lord, check each one of us. Discipline us correctly. Oh Lord, help us to honour where honour is due so that the church can once again be a powerful force in this world. Oh, Lord, we need your help. We pray for your help in your precious name. Amen.